We are on week number two in our series about mission. Somebody say mission. And last week, for those of you who were on Zoom or you watched it online later, we started out uh, in our first week sort of at the high level, the, the big picture. And here's what we said last week to bring us up to speed. We said that our God is a missional God. He is a God who pursues. He is a God who is actively involved in the world and he's up to something. He's doing something. We kind of equated that to he's on a mission. And that mission, if you remember, is that God was working to reconcile, that's the word, reconcile all things to himself. And to be reconciled to God means to be brought back into right standing with him. It means to be brought out from under the curse of sin. It means to be brought into relationship with God. It means to be brought into the fullness of doing life with God and for God. It's not just there I'm saved and that's it. Like we have a whole lifetime with the Lord. So that's pretty cool. And the means by which God accomplishes this reconciliation is by the cross of Jesus Christ. There's not many different means. There's not many paths to heaven. There's not a whole bunch of plans. There's one plan. It's the cross. And you need to know, if you don't already, that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth. That's why the decorations are up, just saying. And Jesus lived and he died on a cross to pay for our sins. And in so doing, uh, he made a way that we could be forgiven. And then he rose from the grave and then uh, ascended into heaven. And now as we believe in and trust in and accept Jesus and put our faith in him, we are saved. We are set free. We are brought into relationship with God. We are reconciled to God. And again, I just have to get you to participate here. I would like to hear it as believers if you are thankful that that is the reality that you are in. Are you thankful that you've been reconciled to God? Okay. You should be cheering louder, but that's okay. We'll work up to it. So we said that last week. We also said that God, not only does God have a mission, he's given us a mission. And the high level of that, we read in 2 Corinthians 5, is uh, while God is on a mission to reconcile all things to him, he's given us, it says, the ministry of reconciliation. So we get to come right alongside. It fits like hand in glove with what God is doing. He's not over here and we're over there. We get to another place in, in 2 Corinthians, it says, working together with God. So I think that's super cool. And we said finally last week, the reason for all of this is not just for us to feel good, it's for God's glory, that Jesus would be magnified, lifted high, exalted, worshiped, praised. That's what's up. That was last week. It was a busy week. Now this week, what I want you to do, grab your Bible. Grab your Bible today. Phone Bible's good. Uh, hard copy's good. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 is where we will be for our duration of our time today. Go to verse 18. And while you're finding Matthew 28, 18, I wanted to just tell you um, a few things that our mission is not, just for clarity, just so we don't you know, get confused. Our mission as Christians is not to grow large churches. Just get that right out of the way. We hope and pray that our church does grow. And we're glad you're here. We're glad you're part of the family. We want to see even more of that happening. But it's theoretically possible to grow a large church and still not even touch your mission. Our mission is not just to love and befriend people. 
I love you guys. I'm friends with you guys. We hope that as we do the Lord's work, we will get the chance to love on people and be friends with them. But again, that's not the goal. You can do that and still not do your mission. You see what I'm saying? Our goal is, our mission is not just to bring back some Christian ethic to society, right? Like this world is going down the toilet. It's getting crazier all the time. If only, if only we you know, we're back in the good old days, right? Where everybody was moral and everybody went to church. You couldn't even go shopping on Sundays. That's what we need. Well, no, that's not our mission either. Our mission, we're gonna see it in a little more detail and clarity today. Let's read it. I'll read it off the screen with you. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, that's his disciples, his gang. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the, oh, the very end of the age. Not just the end of the age, the very end of the age. So that is the word of the Lord this morning. And that's a very famous section of scripture called what? The Great Commission, okay, good. You're passing the test so far, guys, it's good. So our mission is in here, and, and we're gonna, as this week and next week, we're gonna go from the high level and kind of work our way even more specific. So here we go, let's pick our way through this. It starts out, the first thing we gotta consider when we're reading this text is in verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We gotta, we gotta tackle this subject of authority, and authority, as you guys know, is this concept of coming to grips with the fact that somebody is over you, someone is in a position of power and of influence and of control over you. Authority obviously is manifest in many different ways, whether it's at work or at school or at home with the Lord. This is a thing we gotta consider. And here's generally, here's generally how we are as humans with authority. We don't really prefer to adhere to it. We, here's what we like to say. I'd like to be an authority, but I don't want to recognize anybody else's authority. Okay? Oh, it's just me then. Okay, fine. Um, what we do is we rebel against it sometimes. We've all done it. We were all teenagers. Some of us aren't there yet, but it'll happen. We rebel against. We don't humbly come under authority. We say, I'm going to go against you. I'm going to resist you. I'm going to stick it to the man or buck the system or whatever. And a lot of the times, again, if we're just like being really honest, sometimes we even are proud of that. Like I look back on my life, I wasn't a teenager that long ago, not that old, um, but I did dumb things like that. And we're not gonna tell stories, this is not confession time, it's okay. But I look back now and I think not, oh man, when I was a teenager and I would do rebellious things, I was so cool. Like, you guys don't even know how cool I was. And now as I consider my life, like, that's the person I want to be like. I'm going to model the rest of my life after me at 17. No, that's not what I say at all. I look back at some of the things I did, and I wasn't even, watch my hand, I wasn't even that bad. And it's embarrassing. Like, it really is. It's foolish. Like, the stuff that we do, the vast majority of the time to rebel against authority makes us look foolish in the end. And we do this same thing with God's authority in our lives. God says, I am the Lord, I am your God, you are my people, follow me, love me, serve me, uh, trust me, have faith in me, and we say, 
yeah, but I'm going to do this. You, you know, this is the path you want me to walk on, Lord, but uh, you don't really know best, or you didn't really say that, or times have changed and we've advanced, so I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to exercise my own authority and independence and autonomy. Does this sound familiar? Because it should, because we all do this sometimes. Welcome to church. And if we do that, especially chronically, just resist the, the will of God and resist the authority of God. What does that say about us, right? Especially as believers. Like, let that not be our heart that we're just chronically butting heads with the Lord and, and going off side with the Lord. Our mission, among other things, uh, authority pertains to a lot of things in our lives, but our mission is based on Jesus' authority. That's what I want to show you in here. He starts out by saying, all authority. How much authority? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus talking. Just a note on that. Only God can give all authority. You might have some authority, like in your sphere of influence, you can't give all authority. Even if you give your, key, your ring of keys to somebody else, you can't give all authority. That's God's to give. And he gives it to Jesus. Furthermore, only God can ever have all authority. So when you see Jesus saying that, this is a statement of his Godness. Jesus is God. When he speaks, we ought to listen, especially as his people. We ought to take it to heart. We ought to pour into that. We ought to take it seriously. So let us come to a place as Christians in all areas of our lives, not only that we, you know, in our minds understand God's in a position of authority, let us really grow into that. My prayer for myself and for you guys is that we would come under the authority of God, that we would humble ourselves and step into that place that he is first and we are second. He is God and we are not. That, like if we get that wrong, our mission is gonna be a struggle. If you, if you have a problem with the authority of God, if you have no connection or respect for the authority of God, you're not gonna have much connection to the mission. You're not going to have much impact in the mission. That's where it all begins. That's why he says it first. All authority in heaven and on earth. And by the way, the mission's all about Jesus anyway. Like we get to participate in the mission and we benefit from the mission, but it's really about Jesus. It's about what he's done. It's about the life he calls us to. And it's about the fact that we get to spend the rest of our lives with him and then we'll go to heaven and be with him face to face. It's all about Jesus anyway. So see him as central. All authority. Now, the next thing I want to show you, um, it kind of leads out of this. People have said of this text, they have said, well, this is really nice. The Great Commission, uh, it's just a nice thing. You know, you, you can put it on the wall of the church or whatever. Um, but Jesus actually only said it to his disciples of the day. So while it's nice and I can be inspired by it, he wasn't really actually talking to me 2,000 years later. And we kind of say that probably to get out from under his authority is what it is. And we say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Well, guess what? This does apply to us today. And I'm going to, not just anecdotally, I'm going to show you. If you look at the last verse, that last sentence, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Somebody answer me this. The first disciples who Jesus said this to, are they still alive? No, they are not. They did not last until the very end of the age but the mission does. And it would be a little bit strange for Jesus to say, I'm with you always to the end of the age if he was only referring to their you know, isolated lives. He might have just said, I'm with you to the end of your life. No, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to you and me. He's saying that, and this isn't an isolated promise either. This is not just some out of context. When Jesus says, I'm with you always, 
The context of that is as you are going about carrying out your mission, I am with you. I will encourage you. My presence will go with you. This is totally connected, and he's speaking to us. Now, if we go back up to the top, all authority, heaven and earth, has been given to me. Verse 19. What's the first word in verse 19? Therefore. You guys know how I do about that word. Every time it comes up, I get all excited and I start hopping up and down. I, I will spare you today. Um, but when you see the word therefore, that means you've got to read what was just said. You've got to read what's about to be said in light of what was just said. And what did Jesus say? I have all authority. Therefore, what I'm about to say, I want you to listen to. He says, go. That word, we're going to do a deeper dive on that next week. So we won't expand on it much today. But suffice to say that word go, that doesn't mean stop. That doesn't mean wait. That doesn't mean let's have a committee meeting. That's what we do in churches, right? That doesn't mean sit around and try to figure out what to do. No, he's going to tell us what to do. He's going to tell us very, very clearly. And what he's going to tell us to do is this three-step process. Somebody say three-step process. It's to make disciples. See it there, verse 19. Oh, yeah, there, look at that. Even better. Baptize them and teach them to obey. That's the three-part process that Jesus is calling us to in missional activity, in, in the ministry of reconciliation that we talked about next, last week. This is this with more definition. This is how we work out our part in this. Now, what I would tell you about these three things, these are different things. These are distinct parts. These are, uh, they're different than one another. However, excuse me, they're all part of the same swing. How many of you golf or have golfed? That's a pretty low number, I'll be honest, but maybe we can work on that. Hey, we got grass out back now, like we'll go out and have a, never mind, never mind. Okay, when you golf, there are different parts to your swing, right? You start out and you do your back swing, that's one part of it, you can't really do a swing without a back swing, and then you swing through the ball is another part, and then you have your follow through. And then if you're me, you watch it sail directly down the middle of the fairway toward the green. Thank you. Dreaming. Um, I, I am embellishing a little bit. Well, so it is with this, this three-step process. Uh, these are all parts of the same swing. And just like a golf swing, if you leave a part of it out, it's incomplete. We don't just do some of these. We have to do all these. For instance, if we, if we only... Uh, make disciples, and I'll talk about that word in a couple of minutes, that generally is referring to like getting someone to Christ, someone who's not a Christian, you're leading them to the Lord. Um, if you only do that, but we don't, for instance, teach them to obey, well, what happens then is the kingdom might grow a little bit wider, but the kingdom doesn't grow any deeper. You understand what I'm saying? And God is after both. Now, conversely, if we only work on teaching people to obey, but we never do any of the work in the beforehand stages, uh, you know, there's no connection to the Lord. It's just you obey, you follow these rules. Well, then you've just got empty religion, is what I'm saying. There's no heart connection. Like, there's not really any need uh, for someone to obey all these rules per se if there's not first a connection to the Lord, a, a heart for the Lord, a relationship with the Lord. And we'll talk more about that as we go. But this process, this three-step process is often referred to as the discipleship process. Somebody say discipleship. discipleship. That word, interestingly enough, is not in the Bible, but I think it does do a good job at sort of capturing the heart of what this is and what this means. And to, in order to understand the discipleship process, we've got to understand that root word, disciple. 
that's in there. Lucky for you, we've already talked about that this fall, so we can go short on this. A disciple is someone who is a learner, a student. It's someone who sits under the teaching of someone or something else and, and sort of grows in that direction. A disciple is someone who takes their cues from someone or something else and aligns themselves with someone or something else, makes sacrifices for someone or something else. That's the kind of trajectory of a disciple. And what I would tell you is this. We as humans, not even in a Christian sense per se, we're all disciples of someone or something. And if you don't believe me, I'll just give you an example. Many people are disciples of the culture, products of the culture. In other words, they learn about the culture, they study it, they, they take their cues from it, right? They just follow what the world is doing. Okay, well, that's what I should do. That's what the world thinks. That's maybe what I should think. People make sacrifices to fit into the culture. That's part of discipleship. People generally will align themselves with the, the, the trajectory and the values of the culture. Well, that's, that's really discipleship in a way. It's not the correct form of it, but it is discipleship. Some people are... For some reason, disciples of celebrities. That one doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but some of you who are a little bit older, you might remember like from the 50s and onward, how many people started combing their hair like Elvis. You know what I mean? Well, that's a little bit kind of akin to this. Some people are disciples of uh, some role model or mentor or someone they look up to in their lives. Maybe it's your boss. You're, you're growing into the likeness of your employer. Maybe you're being groomed to take their place one day. Maybe it's, Oprah, maybe it's some parent that you know, you're having a really hard time measuring up to, but, but you look to them for your cues. That's discipleship, that's following, that's looking to someone else and looking to grow kind of into that mold. And then there's Christian discipleship. And that's obviously where we wanna take our aim. If you have a notepad, write this down. Christian discipleship is all about influencing people toward wholehearted worship of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. Christian discipleship is all about influencing people toward wholehearted worship of Jesus Christ. By the way, that includes yourself. Sometimes we don't think of that. That includes you. D discipleship is all about pointing people to Christ. It's all about baptizing them into Christ. It's all about teaching them to obey Christ. It's helping people be reconciled to God, the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, it's, it's connecting people to their life's purpose and their life's mission. It's, it's coming to Christ and growing in everything Christ has for us. That's what discipleship is all about. In other words, Christ has salvation for us. So we help people into that. Christ has plans for us. We help people and ourselves discover those. Christ has gifts for us. He has forgiveness for us. He has, he has, um, he has a mission for us. He has opportunities for us to love and serve other people. And so we look to Jesus and we are influenced in that direction. Do you understand what I'm saying so far? This is pretty centrally important. Now, discipleship, there are two I'm calling them targets for discipleship, and we'll talk about those. Two things that we need to make sure we're taking aim at in discipleship, in our mission. The first one is this, influencing others toward Christ. Others, influencing other people. There's a verse in Philippians chapter two. I think it's just a fantastic piece of advice and a good life principle to abide by, especially as believers. It's Philippians 2, 7, and it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. That's just generally a good thing to abide by. That is a countercultural message, by the way, because our world, our society, our culture is very, what, self-centered. We're self-motivated. We're self-fulfilled. We're self-righteous. We want to please ourselves. We want to live for ourselves. It's really second nature for us in the world to put other people first, maybe even consider other people at all. It, it, maybe it's like, well, maybe if I've got anything left in the tank at the end of the day and or if I like that person, I'll help them or I'll encourage them or I'll consider them. Well, that's not what the Bible's calling us to do. It's, it, it's consider the interests of others because, let this minister to you today, your life is not all about you. Your life is important for sure. Your life is has meaning and you are important, but it is not all about you. And the moment that we put ourselves at the center, that's, I mean, that's where it all goes wrong. And we could tell story upon story of times we've done that in our lives. It's not just about you. It's Jesus, others, and you. We need it all. And let's connect this to our mission then. Here's what I would say. When you're thinking about other people and your mission, you have a whole mission field right in front of you. You do. I do. You have people in your life who you can witness to. People who don't know. This will be good. How many of you know someone who isn't a Christian? Okay. Therefore, this applies to you. You have people that you can point to Jesus. You have people to, to baptize. You have people to encourage. You have people to help grow in their walk. You have people uh, that you can interact with uh, in the context of discipleship. And sometimes I think what we do in the body of Christ is we maybe don't say this, but we think this, well, there's someone else's responsibility. I don't have to share the gospel. I don't have to, you know, study the Bible with someone. I don't have to pray with someone. Someone else will do that. The pastor will do that. My life group leader will do that. Some other church will do that. No, when is it, it is the time right now for us to wake up and realize our role and our responsibility in this. You have responsibility in the mission. I have responsibility in the mission. And think about it this way. You have people in your life, I would hazard a guess to say that there are people in your life who you might be the only connection to the kingdom in their life. You might be the only believer they know. Uh, There are are people, even for Lori and myself, okay, we hang out all the time. We hang out with a lot of the same people all the time. Less during Orange. It's mostly just us and the Christmas tree in Orange. And the dog. We had the dog for a while. Anyway, but when we're hanging out not in Orange and we're hanging out with other people, um, and it's the same kind of group of people, even still, Lori has people in her life that I don't know or have a relationship with. People who she works with. People that she's known since she was a kid who, you know, before I came on the scene. And the same is true for me. There are people in my life, even though we have really the same group of friends, people in my life who she doesn't know or have a relationship with. So you can't just pass the responsibility on to somebody else. You remember last week, one of the things we said was that First um, Peter 2.9, we as Christians are a royal priesthood. You remember that, royal priesthood? And part of the role we said of the priesthood of believers is to stand in the gap between God and people, to minister to people on behalf of God and vice versa? Well, what if you are the link in the chain that God is wanting to use? What if you are that piece in the middle between someone and the Lord? What if you are the means and the mechanism and the vehicle that God wants to use, maybe to bring someone to him or to help someone grow in him? What if you're the only link in the chain? 
We gotta, we gotta like get into this. We gotta step forward in this responsibility. So let's let that be our heart as a church. It's not, I don't have to do this. It's not, it's someone else's problem. Like I will go. I hope that you will go. Now, again, we're talking about influencing people toward Christ. That's discipleship, Christian discipleship. And if you say, well, how do I do that, Braden? How do I influence someone toward Christ? The answer is yes. Okay. Let it sink in. There are so many ways that we can influence other people toward Christ. And maybe it depends on where that other person is in their walk. Maybe they're not a Christian yet. Maybe they're a seasoned believer. It doesn't matter. We can still influence people toward Christ. Share the gospel with somebody. Sidebar. We need to come to a place as believers where, like it says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we might not think we are, but then we don't speak up. We don't say it. What, what has the enemy done in our hearts that we just won't share the gospel? That the Lord can put an opportunity right on the platter. Oh, I better not. I don't want to preach at them. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to be that religious nut. No, we got to open our mouths and share the gospel, people. Okay? Capiche? Okay. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. Now, do that. Make and build relationships with people. Uh, pray with people. Answer any questions they might have. You guys know if you're leading someone to Christ, sometimes they have questions. Answer those. Baptize them when they decide that they want to follow Jesus. Then teach them what it means to follow Jesus. Help them get into their Bible. Help them learn how to pray. Connect them to other believers. Get into a life group, whatever. Uh, encourage each other. Be accountable with one another. There are so many ways that we can influence someone else toward Christ, whether they're a believer yet or not. So this applies to all of us. We all have a role to play. Sometimes you're not involved in that whole process, right, from the, the start of a relationship to, you know, a mature Christian. Maybe sometimes the Lord gives you an opportunity to share the gospel, and then that seed doesn't grow for years and you're not in that person's life anymore. That's great. That's totally good. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe, maybe someone has just come to Christ and then they show up at our church, just making this up. Well, then you can get with them and get to know them and then get encouraging them. They're already a Christian, but you can help them grow. Whatever it is, maybe, maybe you're a seasoned believer and another seasoned believer comes into your life in a certain time. Great. Great, it's all good, and we all have a role to play. If you are only concerned with your own life, your own walk, your own uh, relationship with Jesus, that's good, but it's incomplete. That's incomplete missional thinking. So that's the first target, other people. We disciple other people. The second thing we do as it pertains to discipleship, there it is. The second target is growing in Christ yourself. We don't want to make the mistake of thinking discipleship is something that just happens out there. It happens in here as well as out there. Let's go back to that Philippians 2.7. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Well, it says, don't look only to yourself. That implies you should at least be looking some to your own life. It, it's not wrong or sinful. It, it can become that, but there's a, a healthy and godly and beneficial way to consider your own walk and faith and how to grow in that. And you have an obligation and an opportunity to influence uh, yourself or to be influenced yourself toward wholehearted worship of Jesus Christ. It's the same target. It's Jesus. It's growing in him. It's discipleship in him. And there are absolutely things you can do to affect your growth in Christ. I don't want anybody to say, well, you know, uh, nobody's feeding me. Nobody called me. Nobody cares about me. What are you doing? 
What are you doing? When's the last time you picked up your Bible and read it and sought the Lord in it? When's the last time you connected with the Lord in prayer, relationally? When's the last time you came alongside another believer and uh, sought accountability with them? Uh, do you serve inside or outside the church? These are all things that can help us grow in our own walk, in our own faith. Fellowship is another one. That's why we, that's part of the reason we do this, because we need each other. Um, we always have more growing to do. Even, even me. No, just kidding. Especially me. We all have more growing to do. There, there is not this ever a time in our lives when we reach a point and say, I don't need, I don't need to go any further. I don't need, you know, discipleship. I, I, that's in the past for me. I don't need that anymore. No, that's absolutely false. You have more growing to do. You have more of Jesus to experience in your life. You have, uh, the Bible talks about us changing from glory to glory to glory. It's just hopping from one to the other. That's the whole rest of our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? Good, heads are nodding. So it's an incomplete picture to only look at others' lives as well is what I'm saying. If you, even if you're heavily invested in helping others grow, pointing them toward Christ, doing that whole thing, but you're not investing in your own life, that's an incomplete picture of discipleship. Always remember the two targets. It's always others and yourself. Others and yourself. All of that. Now, Let's go back to the three parts of the discipleship process. We said it's make disciples, it's baptize, it's teach them to obey. The first one, make disciples. First thing I'd point out to you here is that's a verb. A verb is a, it's an action. Almost got the grammar wrong, that was close. A verb is an action. This is something that we're being instructed to do. It's not just, you know, metaphorically in your mind. This is Get off the couch, you know, turn the Netflix off and let's do something, okay? This is intentional, it's deliberate, it's with purpose. And when it says make disciples, as I said earlier, this is especially aimed at people who aren't believers yet and you're, you're helping, you're helping them be reconciled to God. You're helping in that process of connecting them to the Lord. Now, this can be supported by a number of actions and a number of activities. When you're working with someone who's not a Christian, you're trying to get them to become a Christian. Different things you can do. But listen, the essential ingredient in this process, it's not gonna be a shock to you in making disciples, the essential ingredient is the gospel. There are no disciples made. There are no people saved. There is no reconciliation to God apart from the gospel. It's not church attendance, Bring your unsaved friends to church, that's great, but it's not just church attendance, it's not be a good person, it's not do more good than bad, it's only the gospel, it's only the fact that Jesus has died and risen again, and through that sacrifice can a person be saved. The jerk thing of me to say again in this is, if the gospel never comes into conversation with someone, you're not going to be able to make a disciple. The gospel has to come in, has to come into play. Again, you can do things like answer questions. You can maybe share some of your own story to help drive the point home, but it's especially the gospel that we need to make a disciple. Now, the second part is baptize. I think a lot of us are familiar with this concept of baptism. I want to quickly hit on this because I feel like we haven't talked about it for a while. Um, baptism has been described as an outward expression of an inward conviction, outward expression of an inward conviction to follow Jesus. Now, when this first part happens, when a disciple is made, well, then we baptize them. How many of you like to see baptisms? 
My heart and my hope and my prayer is that we would see lots of baptisms in the forthcoming season. We don't know where the tank is going to go yet. That's the least of our worries, though. We'll find a place for the tank out in the yard if it has to be. Um, here's what I would say about baptism. And I, I'm not saying this to start a land war. I'm just saying there are a couple schools of thought on it. Some say you, uh, baptism is essential in the salvation process. You're not saved until you come up out of the water. Some say, well, no, that's not the case. You're saved when you profess faith in Christ. It's not by works, but by faith. And then, you know, you get baptized after that. And the reason I bring that distinction up is to just say, there's a place for that discussion. But either way, regardless of where you're at on that one, baptism is a normative part of the discipleship process. Normative, aka normal. Regardless of what side of the fence you're on there, and I, I, I know where I stand on that, there's no such a thing as someone who doesn't need to get baptized. And sometimes, I don't mean this judgy, sometimes people will say that. Well, I'm a Christian, I belong to Jesus. Oh, have you been baptized? No, I'm not doing that. I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. Okay, but like show me in scripture where that's patterned, where that's set as a precedent. It's clear, even Jesus was baptized and he was without sin. So it's clear that when a person comes to Christ, they're baptized. That's what it is. And again, we love it. We say yes and amen to baptism. It's awesome. Baptism is massively symbolic, as you know. It's symbolic of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So we baptize by immersion here. We take someone in the tank and we put them under and we bring them up. That's how we do it. And I'm not knocking on churches that do it a different way. I'm saying that's the way we do it. That's our persuasion. Now, when we are baptizing someone, it's symbolic of uh, how Jesus died. Well, it's symbolic of death to self. You're making a pledge for a good conscience toward God is what the Bible says of baptism. When we lower someone into the water, the, the imagery is that they're buried. We don't leave them there, but they're buried in the water, just like Jesus was buried in the tomb. And then we ri uh, raise them up out of the water, just as Jesus was raised up out of the grave. That's the symbolism there, and it's pretty cool. Now, again, I'll just sum all that up. When someone becomes a Christian or when someone decides they want to follow Jesus, when someone comes to Christ, we baptize them and we welcome them into the fullness of fellowship and into the family Again, we love baptisms. It's a way of publicly identifying someone's affiliation to Christ. And it's part of the discipleship process. Therefore, we ought to do it. So yes, Lord, let's see some more of those. The third part of the discipleship process is to teach them to obey. This one is a large piece, a large piece. In fact, if you were to spread out kind of a timeline of someone's life as a Christian, here's where they got saved and here's, you know, the end of their life when they go home to be with the Lord. Well, the salvation and all that happens way back here and the whole rest of the timeline is the rest of a person's life walking with Jesus. So we don't want to overlook this part. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just the evangelism. We do that and we're good. No, but how are we going to teach them to obey? Obedience is a word sometimes that we kind of bristle at. It's a word that we don't often like to think about or consider for ourselves. It kind of goes back to the authority thing, right? To, to come into obedience to Christ, we think, well, oh, that's some dull, uh, lose my independence. That's not the life I want to live. I'm my own person. Well, Jesus, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, I may remind you, his desire is for us to come underneath his authority in loving, humble, spirit-led obedience. That's what he wants from us. 
And obedience is a natural byproduct of following Jesus. When you are following Jesus and you're growing in Jesus and you're growing to love Jesus more and more, the natural thing of that is you're going to want to obey him. It's not this isolated thing. Because we love him, we make it our aim to please him. That's what's up there. And again, if you hear the word obedience, especially obedience to Christ as some mindless, heartless, robotic sort of drone of an existence, you're, you're understanding that word wrong. If you hear obedience to Christ like, that doesn't sound like very much fun. I don't know, like my life is good. I don't want it to be boring. I don't want to be this washed up religious kind of Ned Flandersy person. You're hearing it wrong. You're hearing it wrong. Matter of fact, obedience to Jesus Christ is actually the way to get the very most out of life. And some of you guys can testify to this. Maybe you were in a season of rebellion and when you started to obey, when you started to walk that path of obedience, things actually improved. When you walk in that step, that path of obedience to Jesus, it leads to joy, it leads to peace. How many of you would like joy and peace in your life, right? It leads to blessing, it leads to uh, satisfaction and contentment, it leads to uh, knowing that you're right in the center of God's will, it leads to, frankly, it leads to you not doing as many dumb things that will cause you pain and hurt, seriously. I wish I had learned that a little earlier in my life, but anyway. So if you hear obedience as, no, 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 it's the way that you actually wring the very most vigor out of life, every drop of it. That's the pathway to blessing and to that life is obedience. So not only do we obey, we what? We teach others to obey. Remember the two targets of discipleship. It's not just I obey, I'm helping you as well. When we're doing this part, it's different things. It's many things like give other people a good example to follow again the context here is someone is now a christian they're now part of the family of god what are we doing give them a good example to follow if you expect others to grow in their loving and humble and spirit-led obedience to christ you had darn well better make sure you're doing it in your life as well there's no place for the two sides there's no place for the hypocrisy there we got to do it ourselves too help someone understand the scriptures that one's big. Some of you, this was your experience. You got saved, someone handed you a Bible, and then you said, now what do I do? What's that? And I mean, listen, I'm not bashing. I love the Bible, absolutely. I'm not saying a bad thing, uh, and it's so essential. But sometimes it can be intimidating at the front end, amen? It's kind of like when you get uh, an instruction manual that isn't very good or helpful. Like I... This is, my, this is my world, because I'm not that great at putting things together. Like, I'm not like, I'm not like a handyman, really. I can put, like, a kit together, but sometimes you get the instruction manual that's like, well, it's either not in the box, it's missing altogether, or it's, like, abstract pictures you can't understand, or it's, like, choppy English. Like, that doesn't end well for me. Lori testified, the stress level goes up. It does. Thank you. So, so the Bible can be like that for people. So let's, as the, you don't have to be a Bible scholar, but come alongside someone and help them understand the scriptures better. Not only help them understand them better, what about teaching others to read it themselves and grow in it themselves and feed on the word of God themselves? Hugely important. What about teaching other people to pray and connecting with God relationally that way? What about speaking the truth and love to people and helping each other move away from sin? Yes, that is something we're supposed to do. What about helping people stay encouraged and accountable in their faith? Because life is difficult and following Jesus can be difficult. Encourage one another. 
continually connect people to their purpose and to their mission, which is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what it is. Teach them to obey. So, take a breath. We're almost done. We're coming in here today. The last thing I want to hit on from this text in Matthew 28, we talked about it a little bit already, is back to verse 20. Jesus says, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. If that verse was left out of there, this would be a lot less encouraging. Amen? Jesus has told us what to do. And he ends it with such a wonderful promise. He says, and by the way, I'm going to be with you as you're doing it. I'm going to be with you through the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the encouragement, the discouragement. I am with you. He is with us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, of course, is not here in the flesh with us. He's in heaven. He's doing just fine. Don't worry about him. But he has given us his Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Yes, you do. And the Holy Spirit not only is always with us and doesn't do anything, but I'm here, you know. The Holy Spirit encourages us and strengthens us and empowers us to this missional activity. And the Holy Spirit gives us opportunities to speak to people. The Holy Spirit just so happens to put people in our lives right at particular times that we can minister to and disciple. The Holy Spirit, listen to me, the Holy Spirit will always make a way forward for us to engage in the mission of God if we desire it and we seek it and we're asking him, are we asking for those opportunities? Jesus is with us. He is with us and that makes all the difference because we don't have to do this alone. So that's our text today. I have two quick thoughts to end on and then we're gonna keep on in our service this morning. Two thoughts. As I was considering this text and kind of mulling it over, uh, the Lord gave me two things to say to you. Number one is this. This is thoughts for our church. Number one, how is your involvement in the mission these days? And I emphasize these days because sometimes it's like you go through seasons long ago and we trick ourselves. Oh yeah, I'm engaged in the mission. Oh, that was 25 years ago. Oops. How's your engagement and your involvement in the mission now? Are you involved? Are you helping disciple others in all of the forms that we talked about today and all that stuff? Are you looking to others and, and helping them come along in their faith? Are you, are you taking the steps in your own faith to grow? How's your involvement? How's your excitement about the mission? I'm very thankful for this. There's a lot of excitement in our church right now. Would you agree? The Lord has done some amazing things, uh, this building being a big one of them, and uh, there's excitement about that. I've had people in the last month or so since we've been here a few people have said this to me. They said, Braden, on that first Sunday that we were here at the start of November, I thought you were gonna like pick up off the floor and hit the ceiling. You were so excited. That was a thing, it's true. But listen, it's great that there's excitement about the building, but listen to me, the building is not the mission. The building is not the mission. Somebody on the property committee says it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. It can be part of it. Let's use this building as a tool for the mission. And again, we'll talk next week more specifically about how we can do this. But, but it's not about this. It's about the Lord Jesus. Are you excited? Are you invested in the mission? I'm talking, do you spend your time and your energy pouring into the mission? Do you spend time in prayer, praying over the mission and, and how you can be involved? Are you invested in it financially from a kingdom perspective? All of these things, hey, my heart is that we would step forward in all of this. We would increase and grow in all of this. The second thing, thought for our church, 
the Lord gave me this very clearly a number of weeks ago. He said, make sure you include, make the first move. Because here's what can happen. We can hear all of this and say, okay, great, missional activity, I'm in, I'm on board. Here's what we'll do. Let's open the church doors wide. I'll stand right here and when the people come in, I'll be ready to receive them and I'll disciple them. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good and I hope that that does happen some, but that's incomplete. Here's what I would submit to you. When you think about God and his mission, reconciling all things to himself, God does not say, okay, here I am. Anytime you're ready, just clean yourself up and come on to me. I'm right here. Come on. Why aren't you coming? That's not what God does. Remember Romans 5, 8, God says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were far from God, while we were distant from him, while we were enemies of God, he took the first step and came to us. That just so happens to be what we're celebrating at this time of year. This Christmas season should hugely remind us and inspire us about our mission, about how God stepped off his throne, stepped out of his comfort zone, out of the convenience, and he came to us in our mess, no less. So let's take our cues from that. Let's not just open the doors and let's say, we'll put on really good programs, and yes, let's do that, but let's take the mission out. Who do you have in your life that you can engage with on this missional level? Who do you have that you can encourage? What can you do in your own life to step forward? By the way, let's enjoy these times too. Like this right here, I love this. You guys are awesome and we need this. But let this not be it is all I'm saying.